Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I will say today that you have full and complete permission to be provoked or offended by anything that I say and even question it. Questions are welcome. A lot of times I feel like as Christians and as believers in my life, when I would have breakthrough and understanding that would actually um, produce freedom in my life, it came by questioning things that I had thought previously. And even questioning things that I didn't even know if I was allowed to question. You know what I mean? Because like, well, you don't, you don't question that. And it's just like, why not? You know what I mean? Is he holding a lightning bolt waiting to, sh- to shoot down at somebody that has a question about him? Oh, don't question God, brother. You know what I'm saying? Or has his spirit been given to us to lead us into all truth? In this relational communication and, and relational connection that causes us to grow and thrive in him. And if you even look at the I am embodied Jesus, did he not speak in questions sometimes? Is that not how the rabbis taught? You know, yeah, it is. So today I want to talk about a whole lot of things, but it would, I really want to maybe zero in or zone in or even maybe, you know, I like violence, um, try to attack something that I feel like holds people back, maybe more than anything else, might be, but it is shame and um, self-disqualification. Hmm. The fallen human condition, really. Hmm. I would say condemnation is really self-disqualification, right? Because Jesus said something very, very interesting in John uh, chapter 3. And he said, this is the condemnation. That the light manifested, but the people wouldn't come to it because they love their darkness more than light. And it's like, wait a second. No, the condemnation is you telling us why we're disqualified. And he's saying, no, the condemnation is self-disqualification. The light manifests, and you have this beautiful gift of free choice to step into it. But also, to love your darkness more, and to walk away from it. That's from his mouth. Yeah. The Father's committed all judgment to the Son. The Son judges no one. He says all these things, and yet still, somehow, we've brought, because of the poisonous fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we've brought this self-condemnation and we've twisted it and placed it upon him towards ourself. And I think we can demonstrate that really well from the scriptures today. I would like to, but it's like from the start, I want to give the answer in the message today and then we'll wrap it up with the same thing. But the point of today's message is we start, in Christianity, we start from being fully loved and accepted. That's the, that's the start. 
that's before we've done anything. You feel me? Like that's before we've even turned or that's before we've even earned a single thing. We start from complete and total love and acceptance. It's true. Jesus demonstrated the start, right? We, we have these scriptures on the refrigerator sometimes or on the bumper stickers that say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I now live by the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God. I know that's what it says in many Bibles, but that's not what it says in reality and the way it's really truly written there. It's by the faith of the Son of God. His faithfulness and what He has done has, has rescued me. Nothing that I did, but I was crucified with Him. I got the death penalty with Him. I was in Him. I was, I was buried with Him. And that's baptism. And now it's it's by his, it's his life that I exude, that I live. You know what I'm saying? That's where we actually start from. See, Jesus' ministry, you don't hear much about him. You see him at 12 years old blowing some people's minds. And that's a great story, but it's not for today. But you see him 30 years old getting baptized by his cousin. I call him Dreadlock John. You know, you call him whatever you want, John the Baptist. Um, but there's something very particular, and this stuff is my personal, this stuff is my personal walk with the Lord, so I'm going to open that a little bit. But the point of starting from beloved is, in Matthew 3:17, you see John baptizes him, and it says what? This voice comes out of heaven, and what does it say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the jump. Jesus hasn't done anything. What are you pleased about? We don't have record of him healing anybody, doing anything. You know, he, I mean, obviously he wasn't a rascal to his brothers and stuff, and sisters, but it's just like, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, God gave his only begotten son. We know that, we know that term even, only begotten. Monogenes, it's like only one of a kind son, very different than all the rest is what it means. It doesn't mean his only son. It says only begotten, one of a kind, because we understand we've read the book. It was I am walking around. But it's interesting, in that, same, in that same story that's recorded in Mark, chapter 111, it's worded a little differently. But the voice that, was, that spoke of the Father and the Spirit, Holy Spirit, the dove and the Son and the water, it's like all the, the, the triune, the Trinity, all in one, one picture, says, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What? This is my beloved Son. It was a message to John to everyone else that could hear it, that did hear it, was able to. The other one says, you are my beloved son. As if father and son were communicating in front of each other, in front of us. Isn't that interesting? Selah, like Tyler says, sometimes you gotta get these in your mind. Go run a few miles or walk a few miles and just think about them. Let them permeate in you. Luke 3, 22 takes a combination of both Matthew and Mark and he says, in this baptism, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Interesting. You are my beloved son. This articulation, this communication, this is us inside of him as well, accepted in the beloved. All these terms that we have through the scriptures, from the very, from the very first drop, haven't done a single thing, works for us, we're in it too, you are my beloved son. The revelation that God loves you fully and totally accepts you, covers you, 
and is pleased with you and in you. He's created you and he's called you good. He's knitted you together in, his, in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. This is the revelation that opens the door to absolutely everything in this walk. It is the foundation of everything. It is the love of God. You know what I'm saying? They asked Jesus in Matthew 22, like, what's the greatest, what's the greatest um, commandment, you know? Love God with all, all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But the reality is, it's like you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you have self-hatred and self-disqualification for yourself. Yeah? And this, this is the, the sword of the Lord, that double-edged sword is coming to cut this out of the mind and heart of mankind if we'll see it for what it truly is. That is the deal. Self-disqualification. It's like, boom, my beloved son, qualified. Beloved, covered, accepted, boom, that is you. You are in him before the foundations of the earth. I love that we call him Saul bin Laden sometimes, right? The Apostle Paul, one of the most naughtiest fellows in the world, had been. But he says in Ephesians 2, You who he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. It's like, whoa. The holiest place in the tabernacle, in the temple of God, that only the high priest could go once a year, Yom Kippur, you know, that place was, was only a type and a shadow of things to come. It was the heavenly reality of the priesthood, of the family of God. And guess what? Even when you were completely dead, you know, children of wrath, dead in trespasses, he made us alive then and seated us in Christ in the heavenly places. Like, wait a second, man, but I've got to earn that. I haven't gone to the buffet when I die. I, I, I've got to earn some things. How can you say these things? It's like, well, now that I'm saved, I believe it and I'm reading and I'm praying in the spirit and I'm doing these things. So yeah, I, I can abide in those things and I can choose that. It's like, no, you can't even choose it warning about controversy here, but it's like when you were dead in trespasses, when you were still playing for the other team, he puts you there. And you can accept it or you can deny it. You can't read that another way. I mean, you can, but it'd be twisting the scripture. You know what I mean? Which the untaught and unstable do. Um, but the reality is like, hey, without anything you were doing, it's like the house was burning down. The house was on fire, it was burning down, the smoke detectors were going off, and you were so fast asleep, you had no clue what was happening. And the fireman came, and he lived in that same house with you, and he pulled you out. Why are you asleep? You didn't even help him. Amen. You didn't take one foot and put it in front of the other. You had no strength involved, you had no play involved. If it was up to, if it was up to you, you would have burnt, burnt to the ground with the place. He took you out, and he set you in a place in, in a mansion across the street on the other side of the tracks without anything you've done. So now it's time to wake up and realize where you're seated in him. You know, because by faith, you will have the ability 
to still live in the burning house if you refuse to accept it. This is the condemnation. The light's here. I've, I've paved this way and you're actually already there in me, but you can choose to abide somewhere else and walk out of that reality. That's tough. But say la. You know what I mean? Self-condemnation. This is the condemnation. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. We start at beloved. We start at complete and total acceptance. Never working. Eat this fruit. Then you'll be like God. It's like, no, 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 buddy. I'm not doing any type of work to be like God. I'm created in His image. He's actually my dad. My essence, my life my actual life essence is of him. I'm from him. This ain't some Mormon stuff. We're all going to be God someday and have our own planets. You know what I mean? Glenn Beck or whatever. That's, it's not this. It's like, don't get lost in that. But we are created. We are created of our father. He breathed his life into us. The dust of the earth. Yeah, that's the shell. But the shell's perishing. It goes dust to dust. But like the reality of life that's in us, the abundant life we're called to step into is Abba. You know what I mean? Created in his image, not to be loved, but to release the love and light of God everywhere we go. Yeah, not to work in order to attain, but to realize the free gift that we've attained and step into the Sabbath rest of that, completely transformed in our mind, to come in, which means to fully come into agreement in our mind with what already has been done. And you got Peter, you got old cussing Peter talking about everything pertaining to life and godliness he's given you the whole entire thing and it's like no he hasn't man because you don't know my life bro you don't know what i've been through you don't know what i got going on man you don't know what i did on the way here it's like yeah everything pertaining to life and godliness he's already given you so who are you going to fight your experience or what the bible says and if you know let everybody be a liar compared to what god says that's what the bible says the human condition of shame the first reaction. You've got to think about the garden, of, the garden, right? So eat this fruit and we'll be like God. Be like God. So they want, to do this, they want to do this in order to be wise in their own eyes and have their eyes opened. But instantly they start realizing, oh snap, there's shame because I'm uncovered. I'm indecent. You know what I mean? The whole thing changed. In reality, and then God comes and says, they heard the sound of God. They, they heard the sound of the Lord walking. So it's the embodiment of Yahweh. It's Jesus. He's got feet. He's walking in the garden. In Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know? It's like all kind of metaphors there. The trees, the people, the, you know... All kind of metaphors of life. Say lie, you know. I, mean, I don't. I don't want to be long, um, but you got to think this. You have to think through some of these things. Like these little simple. Oh, you know, it's a, you know some old Middle Eastern people, some ancient, ancient Near Eastern people. You know, seven thousand years ago, writing this. You know, and you know it's their little story. It's like no, no, no. I mean, this thing has got so many layers, dude. It's got so many layers. You could just Jordan Peterson on this for like hours. That verse, you know, but not going to do that. Um, but it's interesting. There was shame. They heard him coming. And they hid themselves among the trees. They hid themselves to blend in with everything else that was there. Because they were so afraid of him. Something had changed. Of course, they're like, well, where are you? Well, Why did you do this? Well, we're naked. It's like, who, hey, hey, who told you you were naked? Who put that on you guys? Who, who introduced you to that way of thinking? Oh, oh, 
Uh, yeah, you know, it, was, it wasn't good. You know, there was this, this purity of walking in complete and total transparency, vulnerability with God. It's like Adam and Eve, were, it was such, there was such purity. There was no perversion of mind. There was no corruption in them. Like, they were so completely accepted by God, they couldn't even imagine that something would be ugly or inappropriate in front of their father. They just, that, that couldn't even be in their brain. They were so pure. He's like, yeah, because we're naked, because you're what? Huh. That's the first thing that came in. That's the first reaction that they had was shame and covering of self. Wasn't good. But the reality is, that wasn't from the tree of life, who is a person. That's our family tree. That wasn't from him. There was a purity there. There's acceptance. There's, this is my beloved son. I'm, I'm well pleased. I'm fully acceptant of. I, I, I love and cover. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was a completely different energy and vibe. But that's the very first experience. But how many people met the Lord, and we could just rattle off a bunch of them, but they met the Lord and he was not who they thought they were, but they projected him as being something. Just as Adam and Eve projected their own rejection of God and shame on him, so they hid from him, how many times do we do that? Do we get into those places of shame and condemnation and all these things and trying to work for what we got? And it takes us out of rest, but what the, what the, what the bait of the enemy is, is it takes us from being able to actually abide in who we truly are because then we bear fruit and we multiply. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is true evangelism. It's not passing out a track at a park or, you know, doing a skit in another town or whatever. You know, not that that stuff's bad. I'm just saying that that's, that's something. But true evangelism is a natural, it's a natural reaction of somebody who is healthy and whole because people want what you have. You know what I mean? And it comes without doing work or labor. It comes by being who you actually are and people want what you have. You know what I mean? And people aren't afraid of you. Like they weren't afraid of him. It's like, man, you didn't see Pharisees hanging out at some of these sketchy people's houses. But they're like, Jesus hangs out with tax collectors and drunkards, like gangsters and loose women and all these different things. It's like, oh, you know what I mean? It's just like, hey, but isn't it interesting that they didn't feel so condemned that they would actually want to have him around? Mm -hmm. The world should feel that way about his people. Do they feel that way about us? Maybe some, but I would say probably not most. It, it burns me a little bit because I have a title. I'm a pastor. I have a church. You know what I mean? So that, that now that I'm out of like just the private sector of the world, I, I sometimes I get it. And people meet me like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're a, that's who you are. That's what you, you're a pastor. You know, it instantly goes through that grid of knowledge of good and evil. And it's like, dude, it's like, ugh, I get it. I know you probably, I know you probably, I know it's, you're right to feel that way. You know what I mean? You just feel that energy. But most of us, man, imagine if we exuded the rest, that Sabbath reality of God. I'm telling you, the fish would swim into our nets instead of us having to, you know, shoot the, shoot, shoot the barrel and make them float up and scoop them. Ha ha, you know what I mean? We scared them in. You're going to go to hell if you don't join my club. Like, pow, 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 pow. Yeah, scoop, scoop them in. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And it's never been him. Never. Ever. Yeah. Everybody that sees him, you see the, the history of people in the Bible, the poison from that true tree that caused that same reaction with Adam and Eve 
triggered people, you know. And I think about like Jacob, who, who actually was kind of sketchy. You know, he, in a, I say he, he I, I think he fair and square bought his brother's birthright. Some people say he stole it, stole it or whatever. That's fine. He did trick his blind dad, which is really kind of funny, but pretty sketchy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dressed up for Halloween as his brother and tricked his, you know, that's, that's great. But um, he ends up wrestling the angel of the Lord. He ends up wrestling around Jesus. You know, I mean, that guy looked like Jim Caviezel wrestling him around. If you, uh, if you can see it, Jesus of the New Testament, that was him. Jesus, the embodiment of Yahweh, is the angel of the Lord, by the way. That's, a, that's, that's the reality. And, uh, but he wrestled him around. It was at night, so we probably didn't see him quite as well. But he wrestled him all night long. You know? He's like, I won't let go until you bless me. Tell me your name. That's the key. Tell me your name. Why are you asking my name? Tell me your name. Oh, because that's the key. He's the name of the Lord. The, the name of the Lord that was in the angel of the Lord. Okay, I'm back in, I'll back up a little bit. But, you know, it's like this reality, and, 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 and he blessed him. He calls his name Israel. He calls him a prince with God instead of Jacob, which means trickster, trickster or deceiver, man. And uh, he changes his name, which a name was an identity. You know what I mean? It was an essence. It's like, this is who you really are. He didn't change it. He told him who he truly was. But, um, but Jacob in, in, in turns it to Israel in Genesis 32, 30. And he says, I've seen God face to face. Yet my life is delivered. But yet my life is preserved. It was this quagmire in his brain. Like once, once the angel of the Lord left and he realized he was scrapping with him all night, he was like, oh my goodness, that was God. And I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. You know what I mean? I got a limp. My walk has changed, but I'm alive, baby. Is it, you, see what, you see what's going on in his mind? He's like, you can't see him or you'll die if you touch him or see him. The reality is, is that everybody touched him, even the hem of his garment got completely and totally healed. So what was, what was true? What, who believed what and what was right and what was wrong? The reality is, no, if you touch him, you come to life. No, no, no. If you see him, if you truly see him, you'll die. No. If you see him, you'll be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's like, no, 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 no. No, if you see him, you can't see him or else you'll die. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I understand that. And I understand Moses, even though Moses saw him that. I understand they say that, but, you know, there's, there's fine print there. Once you see him truly as he truly is, and the love, you realize you're beloved. <gasps> then you realize he died for you. And then you realize you did die. <gasps> I did die. I died with him 2,000 years ago for us. I was crucified with him. It was nothing I did. While I was still a sinner, while I was still crooked as a mug, and, and he's actually seated me in life, no, in the heavenly places to do the business and the authority of, king, of the kingdom life to be manifested on the earth. Like, that's the reality. So I did die. So I guess if you do see him, you do die. Like, yeah, you do, but trust me, it's good. There's fine print. And it's all written and read through the word of God, who is the person of God. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Everything was about life and abundance and inheritance and love from him. And we had him so backwards. I saw him and I lived. Of course you did. Not only did you live, but you changed from who you once were into who you are now and your walk is different. Gideon, my goodness. Gideon, talk about self-condemnation. Hey Gideon, I've got something for you. You're, gonna, you're the great and mighty, great and mighty 
man, you're going to lead the, the Israelites and you're going to do all these things. That's the angel of the Lord sitting under a tree yelling that. You feel me? And it's like, the reality is this, like, look, Gideon had such self-condemnation and such self-disqualification about himself. Because Jesus, the angel of the Lord says, hey, mighty man of valor. And what did he say? You got the wrong guy. I'm the least in my father's household. He instantly put his own self-disqualification, his own shame, his own personal identity on Jesus, on the angel of the Lord, and said, no, it's not me. You see that? Every time we meet him, we want to hide. It's like, you don't understand. You don't know who I am. You don't know who you're dealing with. But it's like, hey, if the creator doesn't see that about you, then why do you see that about you? It's because I think the creator sees that about me. But what if he doesn't? What if it's all been a lie? through that poison. Sounds like that's, that's the case. Je Jesus, the angel of the Lord, ignores him in Judges 6, and he's like, all right, yeah, so anyways, go in this might of, might of yours. I've called you to do it. You know. Of course, Gideon freaks out at the end of that story, way worse than Jacob, Israel does. And, he, and Jesus leaves, or the angel of the Lord leaves, all the same, and he's like, oh my gosh, I've seen the angel of the Lord. I'm going to die. That's the first thing he thinks. I've seen God. I'm going to die. And then the voice comes back to him and says, hey, you're not going to die. You're good. And then goes away. If you just read Judges 6 and 7, it's a hilarious story of somebody that's very, very deals with anxiety and fear and, 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 and fearful issues, but it's all rooted in a false identity because he doesn't see himself the way God sees him. And he spews it, he vomits it out, if you will, in front of God to self-disqualify himself. And God's like, yeah, no. So anyways, you're going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. Then he leaves, accepts his sacrifice. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Then he comes back, and you're not going to die. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? But I thought if you see him, you got to die. It's just like, yeah, well, there's, there's fine print there, buddy. Look. If you see him, you'll, you'll actually come alive. <laughs> and your old man will die. It's going to be awesome. It's actually better than you thought. The judgment of God is so much better than you thought it would be. And it's not against you. It's for you. And the condemnation of God is like, yeah, like the condemnation is up to you. If you choose to walk away from it and not accept it, then that's what happens. It's like, man, the greatest prophets. What did Isaiah do when he first? He get, Isaiah gets pulled into heaven. And what does he start yelling from the back of the courtroom? He's, he's, he's in the council. He's in the, the Elohim council. The Lord is there on the throne. And it's just like, I'm not supposed to be here. He just starts freaking out from the back. I'm not supposed to be here. I got a bad mouth. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. He starts shouting about why he shouldn't be where God's brought him. Read it in the book of Isaiah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what does the Lord do? He tells one of the angels, take that coal, touch his mouth, basically calm the guy down. Your mouth is pure. I've called it pure. See, here's something that shows you that it is. Do you think that I called you up here? Well, yeah. Did you get here by yourself? Well, no. Then stop freaking out like you're not supposed to be here. I brought you up here and I've qualified you to be here. But what comes out when you come close to him? Self-disqualification. Some of the shame that some people are, have been dealing with and the self-disqualification and the self-hatred, maybe even to having suicidal thoughts that have been tormenting some people, 
actually comes because you're getting close to the Lord, but you've got to recognize what it is so that you actually can deal. Like, he's a trick. He's the fireman. The fire gets close, and sometimes you manifest worse getting closer to him. But it's because he's bringing it up because he wants it gone. Do you think Isaiah the prophet walked around thinking, I'm a man of unclean lips? <laughs> no. It's just when he got around the fireman, he started screaming that out. Yeah, man, because he got close. What did Jeremiah, that's an awesome prophet too. What did he start doing? Too young. I'm too young for this. I should, there's got to be a reason why I shouldn't be qualified for this. It's just like, look, buddy, calm it down. You think I know what I'm doing? It's like everybody that runs into him, because of the poison of that tree, like I hid because you were coming. You hid because I was coming? The one who loves you and covers you? And like, I am all light and love? It's like, oh, you've got these scales on your eyes and you've seen me as something that I'm not. And it's not good. Interesting. Hmm. Daniel. Prophet, highly esteemed. Daniel falls on his ground like he's dead. And the angel has to come and touch him and say, hey, you are highly beloved of God. That's what he comes and he tells him. Like, hey, buddy, I know my presence scares the fire out of you and you're dropping down like a dead man and you're this awesome prophet. But what you need to know is that God really loves you. That's what he tells him. So stand up, buddy. This is, this, we have a message to talk about that you're going to have to write out. That the Messiah himself is going to quote your message. Whoa. Whoa. The king is going to be embodied and he's going to quote your message. You're going to see this Godhead of, of one like the Son of Man, one like a Son of Man and the Ancient of Days. And they're going to be coming on the clouds, which is the, which is the Babylonian language for the gods of the Baals. They were the cloud riders. It's like they're going to be coming on the clouds together. It's just like, whoa, buddy. This is way outside of your pay scale, but it's going to be awesome, and you are so loved. So get yourself together, and, and let's, let's, have a, let's have a talk. This is going to be good. Isn't that wonderful, though? Yeah, but the first thing is like, fear! You know, you know what I mean? Oh, John 1, Nathaniel. Oh, Nathaniel, man. Philip and Nathaniel. Because I'm telling you, this is the Messiah. What did Nathaniel say? We all like this one. I love this one because he starts talking trash right about him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's talking trash about who he's about to meet. And then who he's about to meet shows up and calls him out. Behold, an Israelite indeed. You know, within whom there's no guile. And of course, we're all reading the story and be like, there's God, all right. He was talking trash about you like 20 minutes ago. You know what I mean? But Jesus isn't seeing Jacob. He's seeing Israel. He, if you can see the parallel, he's seeing who he truly is and he says it and he's like, you're the Messiah. You're him. It's like, yeah, you're going to see greater things than this. The angels are sending and ascending on the Son of Man, the messengers. I am the go-between of heaven and earth and you're going to be a messenger of that reality. And it's just this beautiful reality. He starts spewing something as soon as the name comes up and then boom, it changes. He's fishing with Peter. What did Peter say? He throw the net over there. Catch all the fish. He catches all those fish in front of Peter. What's the first thing Peter says? Just like Isaiah. You don't understand me. I've, I've got a dirty mouth. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like he... It's like, why do they go right to that? You know what I mean? It's just like, you don't know what I'm really like, man. You just caught all these hundreds of fish. It's breaking the nets. We fished all night. You've met me. It's like, hey, I, I can see you have favor on me. And you're like kind of picking me and my friends. And I'm even kind of like a leader to you. 
Um, but I, I hate to break it to you, but like I'm not the right one. There's a there's so many better than me, more qualified and more pure trust. I got a dirty mouth. That's just what it is. I'm a rascal, man. I'm, I'm rotten kind of, you know what I mean? I'm kind of worldly and rotten. You know, that's what he's doing. I'm a, I'm a, you, you know what I mean? And what does Jesus He just kind of ignores that. Like, yeah, like, like you don't think I know that. I know who you are. No, I know who you really are. You're going to catch men. Simon, oh, by the way, we're going to call you Peter from now on, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, what? You know what I'm saying? I know the real you. You think you know who you are, but even your knowing of yourself is through the knowledge of good and evil. And it's not really even knowing yourself. It's knowing yourself through what you think I know about you. And it's wrong. Isn't that torment? Wouldn't it be torment to live your life and always to work so much because your perception of yourself is whoever you're around? How does they see me? How does she see me? Well, how does he see me? How does they see me? I know nobody in here deals with that sort of thing, right? But some, a lot of people do. The majority of people really care. There's some cities, there's some areas that I feel like it's a real stronghold over that area, like status and, and like society and like what success looks like and the who's who's. There's some places that are really like that. Did you guys know that there's places like that? I mean, it's really like it's brands and it's emblems. Like they're, they're such a big deal. Some places are like that. I hear, but it's just like the reality is, is, is like we've, we've superimposed God's opinion. We've, we've got a fallen opinion of what God's opinion is about us, and that's become our identity. And Jesus is introducing himself to people, and all these people, it's, it's the same way. You know, John, his best friend, sees him in heaven, and he sees eyes of fire. He drops down like a dead man. He's got eyeballs of fire. Well, that's that's what's that old comic book uh hellraiser remember that guy the skull with the eyeballs of fire like that's hellraiser like oh no he's bad he's evil he falls down like a dead man I was like hey buddy it's me your absolute closest friend i was dead i was alive you know it's actually me the one who was and is to come out outside of time and space i'm actually god as well surprise 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 it's me yeah it's me it's like oh Write this stuff down. Listen to the angels when I'm sending you. Write the book of Revelation. You know what I'm saying? It's like everybody that meets him, everybody that runs into him, something manifests just like that. Golly, Fotini, John 4. The woman at the well. Think about that. He just sits down. Hey, can I have some water? And it just triggers all these manifestations out of her. How You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. Like it's not even. You can't even talk to me. You can't even see me. It's like... But Jesus is sitting there like, none of those are actually my rules. Yeah, that's your Jewish God rules. It's like, actually, it's not. I actually know. I have a pretty, a pretty high authority that I know what's my God's rules and what's not my rules. You know what I'm saying? It's like everyone who meets him, because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, they push out their own shame upon him to self-reject themselves. They self-disqualify themselves. Almost every single person that, that meets him. That's, that's, it's like, it's like a trigger. You know what I mean? And it's just like, why is that the case? Why does that actually happen? Well, it's because of the poisonous fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus walks into the synagogue, demonized. What do I have to do with you? Start yelling, Jesus, son of David, be quiet. And come out of him. Don't cause no distraction. Be quiet and come out of him. Because it wasn't his time yet. He starts getting, 
He's the Messiah. Like that starts getting, getting shouted out right when he walks up. But also that demon had become that person's identity. Think about the demons would yell out at people like, don't torment me. That person felt that way. Don't torment me. I'm not the tormentor. You on the inside of him is the tormentor. And he would... That was the epitome of the poisonous tree fruit. You know what I mean? He would separate it. Wrong again. Wrong again. Yeah, I like it. All these people met him. Can you imagine all these people and their excuses? If I was making this as a movie, I don't know how many people we just said, say it was nine, like the Brady Bunch, you know, they have those nine screens on the front of the... Um, I would make all nine pictures of Fatini and Simon and who do we say, Gideon, uh, Jacob, all those guys that we just talked, the guy with demons, I would, and all of them at the same time, I would have them, after all that, I would have them, each one playing um, their excuse of why they were rejected by him. Well, you don't know me, I got unclear lips. I got unclear lips. I'm too young. You're going to torment me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm a woman and a worldly one at that. You know, all these people would be saying these disqualifications out at him. You know? And then there's, then there's a man, an unlikely messenger named Saul of Tarsus. And he would say, hold my beer. <laughs> like, I got you all beat. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, you think, you, you think you're all disqualified? You know? But he's our buddy, and we've been looking at him, our big brother, and we've been looking at him for the past few weeks. But it's just like he was enveloped in light while he was on a ministry trip, a terrorist trip to persecute Christians, to attack. Stephen had been killed at his feet, breathing out threats and murder and wreaking havoc over the church. That's this person's identity, and he fully knows it. You know what I mean? It's amazing. And so here he is. All those excuses that you heard from all those people, which the Lord didn't accept any of them as right. Like, that's just what you think. That's not what I think. You think that I think that, so you think that. It's not what I think. And Saul's like, hey, he got such a revelation, he was enveloped in light, that he turned and switched teams instantaneously in a week period, most likely-ish. That's how quick this man changed. So he's over there thinking, no, guys, listen. 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank him that has given me strength. This is for us. You deal with shame? Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he, he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. It's like, he judged you faithful? He should have judged you and beat, you know what I mean? He should have spanked you or disciplined you or... He judged you as faithful? He judged the heart of mine to serve God. And I was so zealous for him, but on the complete opposite team. He judged me faithful. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in an unbelief. I didn't know what I was doing. So Jesus is like, forgive them, they don't know what they do, even the very worst. And it's just like, yeah, that's us. We just didn't know. 
You know there was an offering once a year called the ignorance offering. There really was in the tabernacle. So they would, they would make this offering every year. And, you know, there were certain things. You know, there's obviously murder and theft and stuff that had real punishment in their law. You know, they had, they had like, hey, you can't get away with that, you know. And a lot of stuff had ceremonial things. You had to cleanse yourself and do all this stuff. But then there was ignorance offering, meaning, meaning like, hey, like, there was an offering every single year. To, so if you're doing something bad or naughty or wrong and you didn't do it on purpose or you didn't even know you were doing it, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know it, was, it was bad to, to eat, these, eat these mushrooms that grew over here by the, by the pool of Siloam or whatever they, you know, whatever they were doing, whatever it happened, you know, it's like there were certain things. That was a bad example. But there was an ignorance. Hey, if, if, if there's stuff you've been doing, you don't even realize it, it's forgiven. Every year. And we in a new covenant sometimes are in, ooh, we deal with shame. And I don't even know if there is something wrong with what I'm doing, but I think there might be. So, Lord, just in case there is, I just want to pray for you that right now. And I just, please forgive me. I, I repent of something. I don't know what, but I just feel rotten. But I want to come and I want to talk to you about some things. Is that okay? You know what I mean? We come like whipped dogs into the presence of the Lord often. In reality, it's just like we're in the presence of the Lord. We're seated in the presence of the Lord in the heavenly places in Christ. And this reality is... The ignorance offering, he's like, I did this stuff and I was ignorant, and now there's something different than the one year, than the one year, every one year deal. This is like, hey, I was pronounced completely innocent because even though I was the worst of the worst, I didn't know what I was doing. Because if I knew what I knew now, then I wouldn't have done it. And that's what repentance means. If you knew what you know now, would you still have made that mistake? Well, no. Well, then stop living there. That's what repentance. You've had a mind change and live the other way. It was, a, it was a gift that seems too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. Gospel means good news. Hmm. I, was, I was forgiven. I, was complete, I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's what happened to me. Beloved. You are my beloved son. Oh man, I've been killing your other beloved sons. Even then. I still love you and I accept you. And you're kicking against the goads. You're trying to stop something that's already been accomplished. And you're with me if you will be with me. Mm -hmm. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. It, meaning, well, that's our identity, brother. No, no, not at all. It means that he didn't come to save people like we've, we've, we're the set apart, we're the nation, we're the nationality. It was racist. It was like elitist. It was like we're, all, we're this thing. We've been keeping ourselves pure. We've been doing these things. We've been doing these works. We've been preparing ourselves for him. He's like, no, he actually came to save everybody that's even trapped in the depths of darkness. And he inserted himself his own life. Philippians 2 says he, was, he morphed and made himself into the image of a man. He like transformed and became in the likeness of a man as a human being. He was one of us, and he came inside of humanity and purged it from the inside out and brought humanity inside of him and baptized that old identity and killed it and allowed us to actually live and be raised with him as this new creation. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. And so here he is talking to that screen of all those people and all of us that think we have all these disqualifications. He's like, hey, the reason I receive mercy for this reason, as the worst person of absolute all, is so that I would be the poster child that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience in me, because I am a billboard for you all if, if, if it's for me, it's for you. It's the guy that got let out of prison. You know what I just saw? 
what was the what was the governor was it Whitmire is she in Michigan or something and there was a plot to kill her you know you guys know what I'm talking about maybe some proud boys or something they were planning to kill her and they're gonna do all these things and it was a big deal a few years during the elections nobody you guys don't read the news I mean Twitter I mean the news is like you know the governor Whitmire the woman she got dark hair I think she was a governor maybe she's a senator I think she's a governor yeah a Michigan lady no well those guys got acquitted it, it turned out it was fake Turned out it was fake. They got acquitted on Friday. It was Thursday or Friday. And those guys in the courtroom, when they were pronounced not guilty, those grown men that were all tough guys, because they really weren't guilty of doing what they said they did, they were all just breaking, oh, shaking, oh, you know what I mean? Because they were facing these long 30, 40 year charges or whatever they were. And it was like not guilty. And so here's Saul, Bin Laden, AKA Paul, sitting there with a smile on his face, just not guilty. So now he's like, if I'm not guilty, everyone's not guilty. You know what I mean? It's just like, there's a reason, Barsabbas was released when Jesus was condemned to die. I'll release one pr prisoner. And it's just like this crazy guy that was like a, a, a committed murder and, and, and all this crazy stuff. And he's like released and he's thinking like, oh my gosh, what's, what's happening? There's something to his life too. That's another day, I'm sorry. But it's just like this, this reality is just like, hey, this forgiveness um, and not working ourselves back into this place of rightness with God that's where we actually start from. And the Apostle Paul is talking about that. Yeah, Romans 5. He talks about these things. Romans 5, Romans 6. Through, he says, through one man's offense, Romans 5.18, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. He's talking about Adam, isn't he? Yeah. As one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. You mean the elect people, right? Right? We're Calvinists, right? We're actually not. Yeah, it says because it, it was justification was for everyone who would accept it. Romans 5.19 For as by the one man's disobedience, this is, this is Paul writing this, for as the, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Does that mean we're all sinners? Or does that mean we were made sinners, we became something we were never supposed to be? Thanks, Bonnie. That's the right answer. It means that we're not sinners. It means we became something we were never supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I'm just a sinner, brother. No, you're not. That's not how that works. That's not your identity. It doesn't mean you, you weren't dead in sin and the chief of sinners and all these things. But by, by the disobedience of one man, we were all made sinners. So by the obedience, the many will be made righteous. The who? Well, what does the many mean now? Let's, let's really get that. Well, it says the many were made sinners. Did anybody escape that? Hmm. So I wonder if any, anybody escapes the other one. Surely there's somebody to disqualify. Hold on, let me, let me pull out the, the rule book of good and evil so I can see if I can disqualify somebody. Oh, wait a second. Wrong tree. You know what I mean? There's something he did. This isn't universalism. All dogs go to heaven. This is that this is the condemnation. It's what we choose we can actually have. But a lot of times we choose darkness, and it's not because we just love the darkness only, but there's, some, there's something to loving that darkness. There's something to loving that darkness. The poison has caused people to self-disqualify themselves. And so they've taken that as their identity. It's their pride. It's their essence. It's what they love. And they become that thing. When the love of God is like, hey, it's been manifested for all of us. And the Apostle Paul, our buddy, our big brother's over here saying like, yeah, I was the chief of, I'm the poster child of who should have been disqualified. And I'm writing things that say 
There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those in Jesus Christ. Like that, that condemnation, that shame, that guilt, that feeling of separation, it's all a lie. It's not for you. Yeah. The grace of God is what is for you. We were all made sinners, but by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He goes on into Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we just continue, continue to sin that grace may abound? Like, well, hey, he already made us righteous. Now we can just continue. Now we can just do our own thing. And that's what a lot of people are afraid of when they preach the gospel, the true gospel. He says, certainly not. How shall we who've died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not understand that as many of us have baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. He's explaining that. Remember, this is my beloved. Like when the baptism is not just merely a ritual for us, it's, it's, it has to come with the understanding that like, hey, my old person, the sinful nature, it was crucified with him. It's not actually me anymore. That's not my identity. Therefore, in verse four, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so that we should walk in newness of life. Romans 6.11, Likewise, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. It's like, whoa, dude. It's like you're not who you think you are. The shame, the works, the toil that comes with all that reality, that is, that is the missing ingredient. When Solomon was born, David had lost his other son because of being naughty. And then, you know, Solomon was born, and it was, I believe it was Nathan the prophet comes and says, hey, God names him Jedediah. And for some reason, they still called him Solomon. I never understood that, why they didn't just say, yeah, Jedediah, that's the one. But Jedediah meant beloved. He's the beloved of God. And he wasn't David's only son, and he wasn't even his first son in, in, in line for the king, but he became the king. And it became, this, it, it became this understanding through the Jewish culture, like the Jedediah, the, the beloved, is the king. It's the son of the king. It's the son that's set apart from the rest, and he's called to be the king. So this is my beloved is a sign that Jesus is the king. It's the eternal king. But also it's a sign for all of us. We were in him. We were buried with him. That's what baptism really was. And our start is his start. You are my beloved. And that has to be our foundational understanding in everything we do. And, and not only the, the Matthew version, this is my beloved, but the Mark and the Luke, he says, you are my beloved. Why is it written like that? I had a teacher one time. He wanted us all to write a paper and really our theory of what we believed. When did Jesus know that he was the Messiah? Or did he know that he was, you know, how, how old did he figure this out? Was he blind to it until it started to click? And, you know, and all those different things. So there's all kind of theories about that, whatever. If he came into the world totally blind, it was just the essence of Yahweh himself, and he played by these rules, but uh, it's a fun thing to think about. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, and make, maybe a distraction, but you are my beloved son. It's like this affirming reality, like, oh, I'm in you, and you love me. And then the wholeness, and the health, and the success, and the hope for the future, all of that stuff, which is so hard for us to believe because we're looking at God as somebody who disqualifies us, we realize that, like, no, your perfect love for me casts out all those fearful forecasts and now I can see myself as you see me and I can actually live the forecast that you have for me because I can come into agreement with it for the abundant life that you've called me to live. And instead of self-disqualification, 
disqualifying myself. Well, I'm not good enough for that. I would never be good enough for that blessing or for that healing or for that whatever. It's just like, no, we understand that. No, this is the children's bread. This is the right of the sons of God, of the daughters of God. Like, this is my inheritance. And I walk in your ways. And I know that my hope is in your hands of the future. It's a key that unlocks everything. Jedediah unlocks absolutely everything. And it destroys that self-hatred that, that so disqualifies so many people. I'll stop right there. There's a lot of stuff we could go into. Won't do it. You know why? Because the gospel is written throughout the entire Bible. That's why. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. And all the letters that are so hard to read sometimes, the epistles. Um, like Even like Peter said about Paul's, like people, like he writes these things and they're hard to kind of read and understand. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's in our Bible. Peter said that about Paul. But he said that's why a lot of people that are unlearned and they're unstable, they twist them. They twist these things. They make them something that they're not. Because they don't know Jesus and they don't read Paul through Jesus. But when you do, man, you see something that's altogether other good. And it's not so much fine print, but it is fine print. It's like, hey, the source and the root of Jesus and all this stuff is about the abundance of life. We're called to live and manifest in rescuing the entire world, all of our brothers and sisters from the bondage and the corruption that all of creation is groaning about. Amen. All right. So yeah, Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your spirit to lead us into all truth. I thank you for the hopeful reality of the gospel of the new covenant. I thank you that there's no condemnation in Christ. I thank you that you freed us from the, from the sin and death that, that we're called to represent and even portray and preach in your name the complete, what repent, the gift of repentance and what the remission of sins actually is. Being unlocked from the, from the fault and the, and the poison of that tree and its fruit and its corruption. Lord, I ask that we would be a household of faith, faith because of your faithfulness, that we understand we've been crucified with you, Jesus. It's no longer that we live, but, but the life we live, we live by your faithfulness, by what you've accomplished fully on our behalf, that we arise and shine and are transformed with the renewing of our mind and in our hearts and in our beings to manifest this light, the light of heaven everywhere we go. To be like the stall-fed calves that, that even in the drought they show up thick and, and healthy, you know. <laughs> Amen. All right, sorry. Um,